online, on digital radio and television and on the ABC Listen app. Live at the Australian Dairy Conference, this is Meg Powell and the Tasmanian Country Hour on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. Hello, I'm Meg Powell and welcome to the Country Hour. And it was a stunning day uh, down here in Hobart. It's a little grey, but I can still see a bit of light gleaming off the Derwent River in front of me. I see yachts, I see houses, people... That's right, we're bringing the show to you today live from the Australian Dairy Conference in Hobart and I'm standing here at Rest Point, which is absolutely crawling with people at the moment, although most of them are inside in the big conference centre and most of them are dairy farmers, which may be a first for this 50-year-old building. We've got farmers, analysts, milk processors and other industry specialists, not to mention we had a couple of cows grazing on the front lawns last night, courtesy of a local farmer. I'd confidently guess that this, that was a first for this building. We've got a packed-out show for you today. We'll hear from all those people I mentioned before and more about all the hot topics in the dairy industry, from markets to milking and even psychology and resilience. The energy here is phenomenal. It's off the back of a record high season for milk prices, as well as cancelled conferences for the last couple of years. I reckon some people were champing at the bit to, to get here, and among those, probably, were Bega Cheese Executive Chairman Barry Irvin, who's just raced here in time up to the mic, and Fonterra Managing Director Rene Dodonka. Barry, Rene, welcome to the Country Hour. Thank you. Thanks, Meg. Nice to be here. Now, prices were at a record high last season. Is this sustainable from a processing point of view? Let's start with you, Renee. Thank you, Meg. Well, look, we, we made a move last week to nine, 9.55, and uh, it's predicated on a really strong first half this year where we locked away a lot of our contracts for prices, and it's meant that we've been able to move through the year with a really strong price this year. Uh, the winds are changing. You know, we're seeing... Prices move off GDT the last sort of few months. They've come off at least 20%. Barry, I think it might be 30% yeah. since last year, yeah. this time last year. So we're now having to assess all of the moving forces as we start to pull together the, the maths about what next season looks like. Barry, same question. Is that sustainable? So, so I think, look, I agree with Renee's comment. And I think really farmers have been used to the fact that, that there are a number of factors that lead into how you come up with a milk price each year. And, uh, and at the moment, what we've seen is very uh, strong lifts in price in the, in the domestic Australian retail market, which, which will be more stable. But we've also seen that very large drop in global commodity prices. And I think when we look at this time last year, we were seeing those record high prices being driven by a very, very strong and fast rising, rising global commodity market. That's now not the case, and it's, it's, it's corrected fairly substantially. Uh, too early to tell in terms of what next year looks like, but I think that the truth is that we're always very conscious of saying, what's, what's the strongest price we can get to farmers while still making sure that we've got a processing industry that is investing for the future and, and indeed investing in the customer as well as its infrastructure to ensure the longevity. And, and that means that you can never ignore the market. And I think that's what I've said all my life and I still continue to say to farmers, you know, our objective is that, the, the, that they do well 
but they won't do well if they don't have a really strong and, 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 and continually investing processing sector. So it's getting that balance right. And Barry, can I just add that I think last night we talked about margin rather than just price, mm. right? You know, we've got to make a buck, a farmer's mm. got to make a buck, and someone out there still got to pick up and love our product, right, a mm. consumer. So the equation has to deal with all of those as we set prices. Mm. Now, can you give us a hint at least to what prices will do in the next season? Are they going to be higher, lower? Really difficult one, Meg. Um, if we had that, that sort of crystal ball, uh, we'd be talking to our farmers about it first and they, they will hear about it over the next few months. But we are doing the math, right? Mm. Like, like Barry said, this is about um, not just one year, it's about multiple years, consecutive years of us all being able to prosper. Mm. So no, I don't have a price to share with you, but what we are focused on is making sure it works for our farmers, works for us and works for the consumer. I think look, I, I'd endorse Renee's comments, I think. What will it take for Australian dairy to stop shrinking and start growing? We'll start with you, Barry. Look, it's interesting. There's a number of factors. And, and, and look, I would make uh, the observation that, that as I move around the industry, and I've been in the industry a very long time, and we've talked about it a little today. So while we might look at the Australian dairy industry and say, oh, it is shrinking, I think the thing that is notable for me is that where there's successful succession and where you've got young people in the industry or successful family succession, you're actually seeing growth. It's just that that growth is not uh, keeping pace with, with some of the exits, which tend to be retirees, and those, those exits, I think there's a couple of factors. One is that succession factor where people are starting to say, you know what, I'm 55 or 60 or older, I don't have anybody coming through, my land is worth a very large, a historically high amount of money, land is trading very quickly, and even my alternatives around beef uh, are quite attractive, particularly in an environment where labour is so difficult uh, to acquire. So, so what you're seeing is um, uh, a, bit, a bit of a two-speed industry, if you like, where, where there are those that are investment and confident and got a runway in front of them and are really happy to grow, but you've also got a, a level of succession or even fatigue in terms of you know, the, issue, the issues of the dairy industry over the last decade are well enough known without me revisiting them. But you know, people have lost a little bit of confidence and therefore they haven't been building a succession plan in. So I think one of the things that will be really important around growth is, is, is even new pathways into agriculture, onto farms to grow. I think, you know, interestingly, the correction that we're seeing in the beef industry actually helps the dairy industry a little as well. So I think there's a number of factors that will, that will see the industry first stabilise and then grow. So I think, you know, we'd be happy to see a bit of stability in, in, in the short term and growth in the longer term. All I'd add just briefly, Meg, is that I think the energy here, we have over 600 delegates right across the industry from processor to farmer and everything in between the energy is pretty electric i think the conditions over the last few years are growing confidence it's actually on us to think a little bit about the conditions that make it possible and those settings for people to invest um, at the processing end we are and uh, we'd like to see that through the whole industry renee do you think there will be further consolidation in the da australian dairy industry look I, I i think there's still too much stainless steel uh we, we've been playing an active role in, in trying to get the balance right and I still think that that needs to happen to a further extent and um, I'm not sure what you'd say about that Barry but you know the reality is that to survive we need to match milk to assets and there's still an imbalance. I think there's still more consolidation to come. Renee, Fonterra recently decided to ban the culling of very young calves in New Zealand. Will that need to happen in Australia? Look there's a 
what, what a subject, right? And, and in New Zealand, some of the conditions are just a little bit different. We are working with industry here to make sure that we look after non-replacement calves in a way that's humane. And we've got a lot of programs that we've got in place, but we will do this with the industry and we will line up with ADF and Dairy Australia and we will have one voice. So we're working on it. There's a whole lot of energy going in there. It, it, it is a great subject and I think we all want to do the right thing. What we will do is come up with a plan that works for this market and we'll implement it when we've got time and whenever all the settings are correct. Is the social pressure mounting in that space? I, I actually think that as an industry, we want to be able to be as transparent as possible. So, you know, as we think about the future, we'll think about the fact that people will want to watch a dairy cow being milked, watch a calf being raised, whatever else. And so, so therefore, issues like animal welfare will, will only grow. Um, I think that on a, on a positive note on this subject, uh, anecdotally and what I would observe from most of my farming colleagues and, and people in the industry is that given the strength of the beef market and given the, the growth of dairy beef where you will now wander into a high-end restaurant and see Holstein steaks on the, on the market suddenly, or on the menu, suddenly there is a market for these young calves and there is incentive to have them grow out and have them be part of, a, of, of, of I, I think, a, a supply chain that we are all very comfortable in sharing. And so I think, interestingly, it is a combination of things. It is a combination of uh, community expectation and how you live up to that expectation, but also if, if the market and the consumer comes to want that product and want that demand so it actually makes good sense for the farmer to say, it is highly profitable for me to grow this animal, that's your best outcome. That's your absolute best outcome and I think that's the one that you would observe that we are increasingly working towards. Now I'll quickly introduce my colleague Fiona Breen, who's also here with us. Hello, Fiona. Thanks for, jo thanks for joining us at the Country Hour here at Rest Point, the Australian Dairy Conference. There's some amazing speakers. I just want to uh, ask you a question. You mentioned before consolidation of stainless steel. Do you mean consolidation of processes? Well, uh, I'd start by saying that if you look at the amount of assets we've got to process milk versus the milk itself, there is a significant imbalance. The ownership structures so are all quite different. some factories are empty or part empty? Uh, that's right. So we, all factories are not at capacity. And I think this is where we need to have, um, you know, what are, the, what are the right sort of conditions and maths that make this work? And so I can speak from a Fonterra perspective that we've had to make some tough decisions over the last few years to get the balance right. It's worked for us. It now you've made a decision recently, haven't you, with Victoria uh, uh, shutting down an area there. You're also announcing... Um, some other changes around the place. Have yeah, you so, done some so consolidation about, yeah, yourself? We, we have, over the past few years we have, um, but it's enabled us to be fit and then reinvest. So we've, we've acquired two new factories in the same time. So the point is, how do you make it um, fit for purpose? So we had one asset a few years ago that, that wasn't quite fit for purpose, so we made the tough call. We've now since invested in others, and the infrastructure we have today... that we get the right balance. Barry Irvin, what do you think about that? Because uh, if milk supply is dropping uh, and we don't see it sort of picking up quickly, do you think there's going to be more um, consolidation? 
Look, consolidation can take many forms, which I think is what Renee is alluding to. It can be just the simple consolidation within a business where you will make decisions around taking factories out of play. It can be consolidation because there is acquisition um, and, and, and then, those, then decisions are made about right-sizing infrastructure. It can be consolidation because some businesses cease to exist, which is the, the brutal end of, uh, uh, of the industry, but we've all witnessed it as... as inefficient, non-competitive infrastructure doesn't survive in the longer term. And, so more and, of that likely to happen in so theory? I, look, I, I think that, that I agree with Renee, there's still too much stainless steel and, and when we talk about the entire industry, we have to be talking about the fact that we need efficient, globally competitive infrastructure to make sure that we can deliver the returns to farmers that they might expect from a market that that is obviously volatile. So, so yes, I, I think you know I think it's 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 pretty much accepted that um, as the as the fall in milk volumes has occurred, there hasn't been the equivalent drop off in 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 in, in stainless steel in the okay. country. Okay, we'll watch this space. Back to you, Meg Powell. Thanks, Fiona Breen, and uh, I'll just finish up with a couple of uh, funner funner questions. Where are we at in the butter versus margarine wars? <laughs> well, look, we, we, we are in the home of Duck River. So Tassie, I think most fridges here have Duck River in it. It's a great butter product, so I've, I've got to say butter. Um, Barry, butter or margarine? I think I know your answer. So, there's only, so I'm going to give you a controversial answer. Oh, here when, we go, when, when you make butter, it's yellow. Doesn't need any colouring put in it. Doesn't need anything else put in it. It's very simple to make and has very few additives. So why would you not choose something that was extraordinarily natural, which is of course butter? I thought you were well going to say you'd prefer margarine, Barry. That would have been <laughs> controversial. Now um, I want to I want to ask also about the rise in in plant based milk, yogurt, etc. Is that a threat to the dairy industry? And Barry, I'm particularly interested in your answer as Bega Cheese not long ago sold its 49% share in Vitasoy. So um, our perspective on that part of the market and, and, and the, the unwinding of the Vitasoy joint venture probably shouldn't be linked. So I, I guess I, I always say these two things to dairy farmers. Don't worry about the demand for dairy both in Australia and globally. Demand for dairy continues to grow and continues to be strong, and, of course, and, and why wouldn't it be? Because it's a great natural food that's very good for you. But that doesn't mean that we, given that we have the distribution infrastructure, the capability, the understanding of the customer, shouldn't look to meet customers' needs that don't wish to purchase dairy. And if that is plant-based, um, we're really happy to also be in that category and also be servicing that part of the market. We should not ignore a part of the market that continues to grow, but nor should we fear it because there's plenty of really strong demand for dairy as well. And has Bega got its sights set on an alternative? Uh, not, 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 not that I could speak about. So we're obviously looking at the opportunity and, uh, and I might say watch this space. Barry Irvin and Renee Donka from Fonterra and Bega in the opposite direction to what I just said. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Thank you, mate. Thank you. We might swap jobs. <laughs> now, one of Australia's largest dairy processors will invest $20 million in its dairy factory at Smithton in Tasmania's northwest. The upgrade for Smithton involves transferring equipment from the factory in Victoria that Saputo closed at Mafra in Victoria earlier this month. 
Warwick Long asked CEO and Chairman of Saputo, Lino Saputo, for the details. This afternoon I will be in uh, Smithton. Smithton uh, is receiving some capital dollars for us. We are moving some uh, production uh, products uh, from one of our closing facilities, the MAFRA plant, over to Smithton. It's a $20 million investment that is going to allow us to uh, produce and develop uh, some high-valued products for us. So will that mean more jobs for the Smithton plant? That will definitely mean more jobs uh, for the plant. Uh, permanent, contracted, and casual jobs will be uh, a positive consequence to the, uh, to the community in Smithton, yes. Do you have an idea of, of numbers there? Uh, I, I will tell you that this is an addition to the existing facility. Uh, the actual numbers of, uh, of additional employees uh, is, uh, um, is uh, important enough for us uh, to be able to uh, commit to, uh, but I, I will not give you a number right now. Uh, and this is a direct result of the closing of the MAFRA plant by Saputo. This is the equipment from MAFRA that will go to Tasmania? That is correct, yes. So we are, we are closing down the MAFRA plant. Of course, you understand the situation uh, here in Australia relative to the, uh, uh, the dairy pool. It has been declining uh, over the course of the last three years. In fact, it's been declining since uh, my first trip out here in Australia in 2001. I remember the first time I came out to Australia, uh, the country was producing about eight, 11 billion liters of milk. Uh, when we acquired Warrnambool Cheese and Butter, I believe that number was somewhere around 9.5 billion, and now we're around 8.5 billion. Uh, and so the, the milk pool is shrinking, and it's important for us to right-size our network. So the macro closure is unfortunately one of the casualties. Can you talk about the difficulty then in operating in Australia at the moment with, as you say, nearly 5 billion litres less milk than when you first came out to Australia at the moment? Is that making it a particularly difficult country to operate in? Oh, well, look, coming out of the pandemic, the entire world, uh, every country that we operate in has had some challenges. When you think about uh, labour as a starting point, then you think about supply chain, whether it's domestic or international, that has been a challenge. Uh, and then, of course, inflation and keeping up with inflationary pressures. Added to that here in Australia, there's one other element that the other platforms uh, don't have to contend with, and that's a shrinking milk pool. So it is a challenging environment. But we've always been a very proactive company. I mean, we've always been resilient. Uh, we're a 70-year-old business, and we've always taken the right decision at the right time. Uh, so the headwinds we're facing here in Australia do not phase us. We know that we have an opportunity to make our network more effective, more efficient. Uh, we're looking at value over volume here in Australia, and that's what our focus is. You've had to find efficiencies, find value, shut factories, move equipment, invest in other factories. Do you regret the decision to buy Murray Goulburn when it was failing as a business? Not at all. No, Murray Goulburn uh, uh, unfortunately had the better days in the past, uh, uh, but the, the, the value of the brands that we inherited, the value of the talent, think about the expertise that's here in Australia, dairy processing expertise. Uh, you know, once we come out of our network optimization plan here in Australia, I will tell you that we will be the most effective and the most efficient dairy processor in this country. So absolutely no regrets at all. How committed is Saputo to Australia as a project? 100% committed to Australia, and not just for the short term. We're committed for the long term.
CEO and chairman of Saputo, Lino Saputo Jr. speaking to Warwick Long about the investment of $20 million into upgrading the dairy factory at Smithton in Tasmania's northwest. So my name is Natalie Geard and we have a dairy farm about 30 minutes north of Hobart up in the Jordan Valley at Broadmarsh, um, milking there with my husband Ben Geard and his family. So why have you come here? Why is it important to come to the Australian Dairy Conference? Um, ben and I have always been a big supporter of it. It's a place where you can come to learn and network and some of the stuff that we're talking about here is really at the forefront of the industry. So we've been attending now for probably 10 years and we've both been involved in the organisation of it as well and yeah we really get a lot of benefit out of it. From the paddock and the milk shed to a conference with about 600 people are you in shock? Yeah we are like when we were having it in Hobart we were like oh not sure how many people were going to come but I think it's testament to the reputation and the event and how people place value on it and why they want to come so it's our actual record crowd in Hobart for over 600 delegates which is the first for ADC. Speaking of record, record prices for your milk, what have you spent your money on? Oh, nothing yet. You know, <laughs> a bit of investment in the farm. We had 100 um, delegates come out on tour, so a bit of um, upkeep on the farm. But, um, yeah, probably looking forward to a new calf rearing shed into the future. And what's the weirdest thing you've overheard at the conference today? Mm. Um, probably a few cow jokes on radio this morning. And we had some cows on the lawn at Rest Point last night. So even though the dairy farmers are surrounded by cows every day, they still wanted to have a selfie and pat the cow, which is always quite interesting to see. I'm Jack Wilson from Camperdale, Victoria. And why have you come to the Australian Dairy Conference? Uh, I attend Marcus Oldham and was fortunate enough to receive the Dairy Australia Scholarship. And, um, yeah, a group of us came down to learn more about the industry and speak to some of the leaders. Well, from the paddock and the milk shed to a conference with about 600 people, are you in shock? A little. I mean, it, it, I think it's a really good experience and, you know, it is very different from the milking parlour and, no, I think it is a great experience and, you know, get to speak to some industry leaders and, yeah, learn a lot about the industry from a different aspect, I suppose. Now, there's been record prices for milk... What have people been spending their money on? Or what have you been spending your money on if you've been getting any of that? I suppose um, improvements on land is a big one. And, yeah, there's a lot of people expanding their businesses and, yeah, I guess trying to get ahead of the pack and stay in the game. Talking with the movers and milkshakers live at the Australian Dairy Conference, this is Meg Powell on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. That's right, movers and milkshakers. The uh, cheesy puns abound here, although not from me. I'm terrible at puns. Um, back to uh, the country hour here at Rest Point in Hobart, live. I've got Fiona Breen here with a couple of characters that we're about to meet. Meg, Meg, why are cows <laughs> such <Okay>. poor dancers? <laughs> um, why? They lack pose. Okay. <laughs> I mean, these guys would have heard these all the time, I'm sure. Uh, I've got Glenis Zuko here, who's the Marketing Strategy Manager for Dairy Australia. Hi, Glenis. I'm sure you would have heard all those puns. We've heard them all. They're all very cheesy. (laughs) Very cheesy. Well, I'm going to milk it a fair bit and get as many out of this as I possibly can. I mean, we are at the Dairy Conference. Now, you're involved in sort of public perception of uh, the dairy industry and how to sort of improve it, um, get the profile going. And what's one of the best ways you find? Yeah, 
Yeah, well, we've got such an amazing product to start with. It's a core food group. It's got 10 essential nutrients and, you know, who doesn't love... This is the nutritionist uh, speaking (laughs) as well. the nutritionist in me as well, absolutely. So I think it's just reminding Australians, they know that dairy is good for them. It's just about reminding that. But um, today, I think our consumer today really also wants to know how their food's produced, where it's coming from, uh, is it sustainable? So it's all about sharing our commitments in those kind of areas. And how do you do that? Yeah, well, it depends on who we're targeting. I mean, we have programs in school, so educating kids about the health benefits and that farm-to-plate story. Um, we do marketing ads and campaigns. We also have a You Ask, We Answer uh, website where we invite the public in to ask them, ask us any questions they have about dairy and, you know, we'll draw on all of our experts across the industry to answer those. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think we've been talking a little bit behind the scenes about changes in sort of market demand. You mentioned to me that demand for things like butter actually rose a bit during COVID. What was going on there, do you think? Oh, I don't know about you, but I was home making scones and banana bread. So there was, there was a lot of baking going on. And But I think also during that time, we got back to basics. And, you know, I, I think over the last decade, we've seen a real shift back to, to regular fat uh, dairy products and that real love for butter. You know, it's so natural, so simple. And yeah, I think people really embrace that. And also, I saw some stats about full cream milk in about the last eight years. Uh, there's been quite an increase back to drinking full cream milk as opposed to skim milk. Absolutely. I think 10 years ago, we were all a little bit fat obsessed and um, there was a perception perhaps that uh, regular fat dairy was associated with weight gain. But there's been a whole host of research showing, um, in fact, the opposite. So regular fat dairy foods, milk, cheese, yogurt, um, you know, they're they're part of a healthy, balanced diet and they can really help with your, your weight maintenance goals. It's, it's amazing how everything sort of swings and roundabouts. Um, now, a couple of the, the people that you've had involved in some ambassador programs like Aussie Rules player, Jonathan Brown, those sort of people, that sort of helps get messages across? Absolutely. It's just sort of cutting through and um, we always want to be really authentic in who we partner with. So Brownie uh, was born in born and bred uh, in dairy country. His, um, both grandparents were dairy farmers in Warrnambool. So he has that natural connection and, and really believes in the product product and its benefits. Um, so yeah, we've loved working with Brownie, but also our farmer ambassadors. They're the natural spokespeople for the industry. We know our community wants to hear from them. So we've got a program of 50 farmers and are really, um, you know, getting them involved in our school programs, our marketing campaigns. And, and that's been a really fantastic addition to our marketing program. Well, Glenna Suko, Marketing Strategy Manager for Dairy Australia. Thanks for joining the Country Hour. Thanks for having me. Now, also here, I have uh, a farmer from, I think, southwest Victoria, Brook Lane. Thank you for coming here at the Dairy Conference and joining the Country Hour. No worries. Thanks for having me. Now, tell me a little bit about yourself and your partner. You've, uh, you're based in Victoria. Whereabouts are you from? Yeah, so we're near Colac, uh, so about two hours from Melbourne. Uh, and what a, sort of herd do you have there? Uh, so we have a 400-cow Holstein herd. Um, and yeah. you're, that, that keeps you busy, obviously, it both does. of you. You're both on the farm? We are both on the farm, yeah. yeah. So between the, the, bee, uh, the dairy and then a Speckle Park beef herd as well, we are yeah, very busy. What's yeah. it like coming to, you know, you're working on the farm, probably just the two of you, maybe some helpers every now and then, and now you're here at a conference with 600 people. Yeah, so we're pretty lucky. We do have a 
a full start, full team of staff um, that allows me to do stuff like this. Um, but it's good to get out and network and um, you know be surrounded with the positive energy in the industry um, and connect with like-minded people. So well. you feed off each other with ideas absolutely. and stories and yeah, absolutely. Um, and coming here with the Frontier Australia Suppliers Council as well, um, so it sort of gives me a little bit of a, a talking point with um, with suppliers and potential suppliers as well. Yeah. So are you also trying to get more suppliers to think about Fonterra? You, you sort of... Absolutely. Doing yeah. the sell? Yeah. Uh, to everybody some extent, wants your, Everybody wants your milk, don't they? <laughs> it's, it's a good time to be a farmer and producing absolutely. good milk. Do you yeah. know how much you produce yourself on your own property? Uh, so just over three million litres. 3.3, 3.6, something like that. Yeah. Okay, yep. so busy times. And yeah. is your partner here as well? No, he's not. He's at home with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> the kids and the cows? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yep. fantastic. Yeah. Well, Brooke Lane from uh, Southwest Victoria, Nicole Lack there, thanks so much for joining the Country Hour. No worries. Thanks for having me. Now, we're gonna, uh, we've got a bit of a special uh, thing happening here today, Meg Powell. Um, we've got one of our weather presenters you and I speak to all the time. Live uh, in the flesh this yes. time. Introduce yourself. G'day, I'm Alex Melitzis from the Bureau of Meteorology. Alex Melitzis. Now, I should say, you know, all those dairy farmers that are out there, if you, if you want to speak to a weather person, because I know you listen to them every day, come and speak to Alex. Yep. <laughs> are you feeling a bit under pressure? Uh, no, not really. Um, I've got a great view of the weather out the window and it's looking pretty moody at rest point right now. <laughs> What's going on? It was so sunny before and now it's raining on the window. Yeah, we're actually seeing a little uh, trough approach from the west and so we're seeing some light showers about the western and southern halves of Tasmania right now. So just a few little light showers around. We've seen around one to two millimetres of rainfall across uh, the west and south. Um, we've had a little burst of uh, rainfall move through Hobart. It looks like it's going to clear off soon and we'll just get the odd little light shower or two for the rest of the afternoon at well, uh, West Point. At West Point. Yeah, well, you've put on a fantastic uh, well, fantastic weather for these people that have been travelling traveling around the state and visiting, visiting all different dairy farms. It's been so sunny and beautiful. Yeah, um, you're very welcome. <laughs> you're very We're responsible welcome. for the good weather only. <laughs> okay, what's the outlook looking like? Yeah, well, things change quite dramatically tomorrow. So mm. we have a very different day. We've got um, some fresh, um, hot, fresh northwesterly winds developing during the day. Um, and we'll see a little cooler change approach from the west uh, later on in the uh, afternoon and evening. So quite a hot and sort of gusty northwesterly wind day tomorrow. Uh, we'll start off dry and sunny uh, early on in the day tomorrow, but we will see some light showers develop across... Um, parts of the, of the southern half of the state uh, during the afternoon into the evening. Also tomorrow we could see some thunderstorms develop during the afternoon mm. across the southern half of the state and if they do develop they're expected to have little to no rainfall in them. So it's not a good thing to have at this time of uh, Dry lightning. Year. Yeah, Ooh. potential for dry lightning tomorrow so be monitoring that. It's going to be a very hot day tomorrow actually so it'll be hot around the inland parts as well as the south and the east with temperatures getting into the uh, low to mid-30s, and that includes Hobart, so quite a dramatic shift to what we've got right now. We could even see Hobart reach sort of mid-30s briefly late in My the afternoon, goodness. just as that change approaches. Uh, and you can imagine that uh, with these fresh winds, high temperatures and, and dry fuels uh, tomorrow, we are forecasting high fire dangers across most inland eastern and southeastern districts. 
Um, and then looking into the weekend on Saturday, uh, we'll basically see showers develop about the west and south and extend across the state during the afternoon as we get another cold front uh, across. Again, we could see some thunderstorms about the east and southern half of the state, uh, except they're expected to be a bit wetter on Saturday. Um, basically, on, in terms of rainfall on Saturday, we're expecting 5 to 15 millimetres of rainfall about parts of the west and far south, but uh, elsewhere, generally less than 5 millimetres of rainfall. Um, if you do look at some of the uh, models on the internet, you might see that uh, there's some heavier falls about parts of the southeast and lower east coasts, but uh, they're very um, uncertain at this stage, so I would not be counting on rainfall in the southeast and lower east on Sunday, at the, on Saturday at this stage. We're expecting less than five millimetres across the southeast on Saturday, with maybe some isolated falls above five millimetres. And then on Sunday, uh, we're back into the fresh western northwesterly winds, and that'll bring showers into the western far south. Uh, but uh, fine conditions elsewhere. And then generally next week we'll see uh, conditions become quite settled as a big high moves over the state, so lovely return to warm, uh, uh, settled weather. Uh, but there are hints that we could see another burst of hot, strong northerly, north, uh, northerly winds later on next wow. week. OK. Uh, any warnings? Uh, just with the heat, we do have a um, severe heatwave warning out for the Furneaux Islands uh, for okay. the next few days. So it's uh, unusually hot up there. Up and it'll be Flinders, hot elsewhere. Flinders way. That's right, yeah. yeah. Flinders, okay, Flinders what about coastal waters and swell? Okay, so today we have a northwest to northeasterly winds of around 10 to 20 knots, uh, although they'll be near 10 knots about the central east and northeast. We're also expecting some uh, sea um, afternoon sea breezes. In terms of swell today, in the west and south, we've got a southwesterly swell of two to three metres, and Cape Sorrel Wave Rider Boy is currently on a west southwesterly uh, with a significant wave of three metres within a period of uh, nine seconds. And in the east, uh, uh, the uh, Cape, the Mariah Island Wave Rider Boy is currently northeasterly at around one metre with a period of six seconds. And then tomorrow, northwest to northeasterly winds around 10 to 20 knots, although they'll tend more west to southwesterly in the west in the afternoon and that will extend to the north and the south in the evening, reaching 25 knots in the south in the evening. And swell tomorrow in the west and south. We've got a west to southwesterly swell of uh, one and a half to two metres. In the north, a westerly below one metre. And in the east, a southerly below one metre and a northeasterly of around one metre during the afternoon. All right, Alec Alex Melistus. <laughs> Melitzas. <laughs> Melitzas. I have trouble. I Close don't know. I have trouble with it as well. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank you so much for coming down to the Dairy Conference and joining the country out today. It's great to see you in person. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, Meg Powell, back to you. Thank you, Fiona. We'll let Alex run away before angry farmers come and mob him for his forecast. Uh, one of those hopefully not angry farmers uh, is Tom Acox, and he's a dairy farmer at Rochester in Victoria's Central North. He also happens to be the president of the Australian Dairy Conference. Tom, welcome to the Country Hour. Thanks, Meg. Thanks for having me. Uh, Tom, you've been the president for about 18 months now, but this year is your first event in the top spot. What's happening there? Yeah, well, Meg, um, as this has been a three-year hiatus for ADC. Um, ben Geard, who was my predecessor, um, actually stepped down from his role um, during COVID. And unfortunately, Hobart in 2021 was going to be his final event in the chair, but um, it, was a, it was a false start. So, um, yeah, here we are now, nearly three years on, and uh, I've taken on the role as uh, president of the ADC. So he missed his last hurrah and he's in his home turf. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have a send-off for him over the next couple of days. <laughs> now, um, Tom, when did you first get involved with the Australian Dairy Conference? Oh, look, 
if I rewind back to 2009, I think I attended an event in Wollongong. Um, what's that? 13 years ago. Um, and I was lucky enough to um, attend a couple more events as a, as a delegate. And then I came on board as a programming committee member for uh, an event that was in uh, Gippsland and then also for one in Queensland and then was lucky enough to chair uh, the actual ADC in Shepparton in 2016. Right, so really you just dragged in over time. Yeah, dragged in over time. And, um, yeah, look, it's been a great experience for me to um, sort of have that connection with many different groups of people over the years that have come and gone from the program committees. Now, this year is the first year it's been held in Hobart, which is a bit out of the way for the bulk of dairy farmers, yourself included. Was that a bit of a risk? Oh, look, Hobart, no. We've come up with this model over the last few years where we do tend to go to a, a, um, a larger city in our years away from Melbourne. Um, you know, in Hobart, it's a fantastic spot for people to get down to and, and have a look around and, and actually check out some dairy farms in Tasmania as well, which we had over 100 people on the tours for the two days leading up to um, the start of conference. So, yeah, look, it's a bit of a destination spot and, and great for people to get off farm and come and see another part of the country. You've got record numbers here this year. What do you think that says about the general sentiment of the dairy industry? Oh, I think the mood's pretty good. And I think we're all ready to uh, reconnect with each other and, um, you know, share a laugh and a, maybe a cry after the last few years <laughs> that we've had. And, um, you know, really see some familiar faces. Like we've, we've been living in our own little bubbles for quite some time. So, you know, when we all got together last night for a little bit of a, a function and tonight again, um, it really is good to hear that conversation and people are re-engaging again with other people within the industry that they've had long-standing friendships and relationships with. So, you know, that's quite important for, for people to continue those relationships into the future. Tell me about your farm in Victoria. If you're here, who's looking after the girls? <laughs> yeah, well, we, we've, we farm at Rochester, northern Victoria, um, and we have a, a good team back there looking after the farm at the moment. Um, we're on a mixed farm, so it's a, a dairy cropping and, and a feedlot for beef as well. So we've got plenty of people in different roles within the business. And um, uh, my, my mother's actually looking after our two children at the minute, which is even better. So thanks to mum for that. And um, my wife's here with me and my father as well. So I think dad's actually attended every single ADC event since its inception over 20 odd years ago so he's um he's quite the stalwart oh well done dad your dad not my dad <laughs> now how did you fare during the floods last year I believe you had some water lapping your house yeah look we're not alone in that Meg there's people all over the east coast of Australia that have had a, a pretty rough um six to twelve months um but yeah we had we're right on the edge of the Campaspe River and um, the water came, yeah, basically to our doorstep. Um, it inundated my cousin's place next door and, and it did go through and caused a little bit of damage around the, around the property. Um, you know, we've, we've picked up the pieces and we're, you know, back into it now. But, yeah, look, it did cause, cause a few headaches for those couple of months. Gosh, had you ever seen anything like that before, flooding to that level? No, no. We, we had a flood, a pretty serious flood in 2011, which we thought was, you know, the benchmark, and it was probably half a metre above that. So, you know, that's not, that's not an uncommon story. Like, I was speaking to a fella from Lismore last night, and, and he had two metres of water go through his property higher than the highest flood he'd seen. So it, it's, it's been a, a very difficult uh, couple of years, uh, and certainly those natural disaster events certainly throw an extra spanner in the works. 
Gosh, one heck of a year. And uh, just back to the conference quickly, Tom, what are you hoping the main messages that farmers in particular will get this year? Oh, look, Meg, us as a board and as a committee, it, it's been quite critical that we, we push that message of, um, you know, driving some change within industry at a farmer level, um, but also that positive attitude around how we can improve our businesses and improve our industry as a whole. Um, unfortunately, uh, from time to time, we have a pretty negative um, light in which we portray ourselves and we talk about our industry, which is very difficult when we're all so passionate about it and we dedicate so much of our time and our energy and effort into what we do for a living and a career. So um, I think it, that positive message is important and within that positive messaging, we'll continue to foster you know, a, a very positive um, collegiate attitude within the industry, I think. Tom Acox, President of the Australian Dairy Conference and Victorian dairy, mixed cropping farmer. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Meg. Cheers. Uh, now's a good a time at any, I reckon, to have a look at imports and exports, and I've just got just the man here to do it. Uh, it's Dairy Australia's General Manager of Trade and Industry, Charles McAlone, here to tell us about it. Welcome, Charles. Hi, Meg. How are you? Charlie, going? Charles. Charlie's better. Thank Charlie's you. better. Sorry. Charlie McAlone. That's fine. <laughs> Try that again. Charlie, how much did we export last year? Sure. So in terms of our total Australian dairy production, we exported about 36% of that milk production to international markets last year. That was worth about $3.8 billion worth of the Australian economy. So we are a global powerhouse when it comes to dairying internationally, being the fourth largest exporter in the world. And was that down, up on the year before? Yeah, it's interesting you say that because despite the fact that we saw our milk pool contract last year by about 4%, we still saw about a 2 to 3% increase in the volumes that were exported internationally as, as a lot of the processors and exporters really looked to, to those markets which could generate the highest value from their milk pool. So where, where does the mass come in there? Are people drinking less here? Are we importing more? What's going on? Sure, it's an interesting equation actually. I mean, Australia, uh, Australian dairy consumption remains one of the highest per capita consumption um, countries in the world. I mean, we love our dairy and we're, um, you know, a lot of that on the back of not only just the fact that we love our dairy, we've also got the, col the coffee culture and obviously that's, that's brought a lot of dairy into the, into the diet as well. Um, so, you know, there's been, you know, we've, we've seen per capita consumption being, being very strong here in, here in the Australian context, which has been really positive for our, for our dairy farmers. Now, is exporting important to the dairy industry here? Yeah, so it's, it's, we've heard a bit about that today, you know, in terms of our, um, our relationship with the international market, both from an import side and an export side, and the realities of the fact that we are integrated into that market whether we like it or not and and what happens in the global markets are do flow through the supply chain here so um, we do export as i said 36 percent of our production there is a lot of our industry that depends on on that component of the of the industry particularly down here in tasmania where um, this southeastern corner where most of our processing facilities around powders and cheeses are situated it's been a real profit and value generator for our milk pool. So from that perspective, it's been very important. <clears throat> Charlie McAlone from Dairy Australia, thank you. Thank you for your time and thank you for being on the country. Thanks, Meg. Appreciate it. Let's just hear a few more things from people who have been at the conference today. Uh, it's Jamie Sirong from Borough Foods and I'm here with 15 of our farmers that we brought across for, for the conference. 
from uh, from the it might be a bit different for you, but you know these farmers are out in paddocks and suddenly they're in a convention centre full of 600 people. Are they all in shock? Uh, a few of them are, I think. Um, no, but yeah, it's uh, obviously the content they want to be here. It's uh, they're very passionate about what they do, so it's it's um, it's a great get together, and I think they're really enjoying it. Now, um, farmers have had a record record prices in the last year. What have they been doing with the extra money? Uh, I think a lot of it gets soaked up by costs, of course, because our cost the costs have gone up. But um, it has given some an opportunity to invest in technology and and look for ways of improving their business, which I think is just a real positive. Uh, I'm Sarah Cornell from Dairy Australia, Industry People Advisor. So just come to uh, networking and work on the um, Dairy Australia trade stand to promote our workforce programs that we run and, uh, yeah, try and get people into the dairy industry. I'm Fergus Lawrence. I'm from West Region, Tassie, and I came down to have a look and, yeah, good experience, I think. So, yeah. What do you do, Terence? Our dairy farm. From the paddock and the milk shed to a conference with about 600 people here, are you in shock? Yeah, no, there's a lot of people. It's a bit different, yeah. Um, record prices for milk last year. What have you done with the extra cash? Oh, I don't know. It means we could actually spend money where we need to a bit more, sort of, yeah, improve a bit of infrastructure and, yeah, whatnot. So, yeah, been good. The Tasmanian Country Hour, on location at the Australian Dairy Conference. This is Meg Powell on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. That's right, we're here in Hobart. It was sunny outside, now it's miserable. That's okay, it's still a great day and it's lovely inside in Rest Point here. Now, next up, we're going to meet a farmer whose life turned upside down in 2016 when their supplier stopped collecting milk. Dale Hanks, tell our Tasmanian audience about Harvey in Western Australia and paint us a picture of your farm. Um, yeah, so well, Harvey's about 140k south of Perth on the west coast um, and oh, probably live in the best place in Australia, I think. Um, it's a pretty good environment. Um, yeah. I'd... And how long have you been farming there? Uh, I've been farming for 35 years, but yeah, the farm I'm on, um, oh, I think it's nearly 90 years that's been the family. Right, yeah, in your family? Yeah. What happened in October of 2016, Dale? Oh, we had the, the dreaded uh, no tanker turn up to pick up milk when our milk contract wasn't renewed. Wow. Um, mm. Right. So what happened? So we were uh, left with uh, 350 cows in milk with nobody to, to pick up milk and uh, had to go into crisis management pretty fast and work out a plan on how we were going to stop producing milk. Were you given much warning? Uh, we'd had six months' notice that our contract wasn't getting renewed with the company we were supplying, but we were hoping and, and praying that there was going to be a solution found and another process would want our milk. But as it turned out, uh, there was no solution. God, so you had all that milk there, all those cows. What did you do? Uh, we developed... Well, we had... And as I said this morning, we had uh, plan A, B, C, D... And I think we got to about Plan C, uh, and that was yeah, drying off all our autumn cows, moving all our fresh spring cows, and uh, yeah, we wound up milking cows within ten days on our farm. Um, yeah. And you, so it was about eighteen months uh, you were in limbo there. What what was going on? Oh, probably done a lot. I was in a pretty dark place um, after we'd sold our cows, and um, I guess we. 
at that point we didn't have a plan on what we were going to do with our business and um, then we sort of managed to fall on our feet in the process of wanting us to start milking again so it became a natural progression to, to get back into dairy again. So you're back in dairying now, how did you actually do that? Oh, well, we were lucky in that we had some, um, and as I said this morning, the, the black jelly beans left over, which was our black Jersey Cross heifers that we um, used as the nu- nucleus, and we bought a herd of cows and, and uh, got back into it. Now, neither of your children are interested in dairying. What position does that leave you and your wife, Leanne, in? Um, I guess I'm a terminal dairy farmer. That's the way I look at it. Um, I think there's opportunity in front of us at the moment uh, with good pricing and demand for milk, but um, we're both at the age that we actually want to probably take some time off the farm. And uh, so I think we're looking at transitioning in between 18 to two, 18 months to two years that we won't be daring again. You've shared your story here at the conference to 600 people, brought the house down. I heard some laughs, strangely, in a very um, heart-wrenching tale. And now on radio, you're sharing it to a lot more. What do you hope to achieve by sharing your story? Uh, I, I tried a, a few take-home messages for people, and that was that um, try to look after yourself mentally and physically, and uh, also within your dairy business, have plans. Have plan A, plan B, plan C and always look at them, um, build resilience, um, and I guess, you know, enjoy what you're doing too. Dale Hanks, farmer from Western Australia, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you. And now onto something a little more challenging and fun. We've got um, three nervous young scientists stepping up to the mic here. And this is all about the Young Dairy Scientist Award, which aims to be the most prestigious and esteemed national award for young dairy scientists. It's all about early stage career scientists, giving them a chance to present their research before a tough crowd in the most engaging way they can. Now, for something a little more fun, we're giving them a practice run. I'm going to try and get this mic off the stand if I can. There we go. I've I've got a little prize here for the best presentation I've drawn you I've drawn you a cow um, it's anatomically correct obviously for our uh, audience uh, maybe Fiona could give it a little description I think it looks fantastic it's um, very realistic her words to me before were Meg I had no idea you were an artist <laughs> true um, I did say that yeah I want our audience to hear that so what we're doing here now is that they're getting one minute each the stakes are high I want uh, the concise I want brevity engaging creativity tell me your research pitch it to me and I will give the winner this signed picture of a cow <laughs> All right, we'll start. We've got Beth Scott here. Beth, you've got one minute. Thanks, Meg. Uh, Genetic gain soaring under genomic selection, but this has been accompanied by higher rates of inbreeding. In Australia, cows often have incomplete pedigrees, which makes measuring inbreeding accurately quite challenging. My research looked at using DNA to accurately identify inbreeding. Findings suggest that we can select against inbreeding at a DNA level to reduce inbreeding at specific areas that directly affect performance while still keeping a large range of bulls available to farmers. 
All right. Is the minute up, Fiona? It's it's. She actually was under a minute, but only by about ten seconds. Okay. And remember, Points. you're selling this. You're selling this to the public. We ready for the next one? Go, Meg. Okay. Okay. Us. Uh, we've got Laura Field is up next. Laura, I want creative. I want brief. Can you beat Beth? Your minute starts now. <laughs> Thanks, Meg. Right up to the microphone. Um, there's a saying: if you show me the boy at five, I can show you the man. Um, and my research looks at how the early life experiences of calves can affect their long-term development, whether they're able to deal with stress more effectively or um, integrate into a group of, of cows. And so I read calves with adults, without adults, indoors and outdoors, and then I compared how these calves responded to being mixed with adult cows when they were 23 months old. Snappy, wow, very snappy, snappy yeah. first line. Okay, okay. The, the competition is tough so far. Actually, Fiona, you're choosing the winner. I didn't tell you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's All hear right. the last one. Last up, Seneca, your minute starts now. Climate change is a very much a hot topic these days. And through my PhD research project, I'm looking at uh, how we can do dairy production under this climate change. So I'm looking at how we can integrate uh, adaptation and also mitigation strategies at farm level because it brings a lot of benefits for the farmers. And farmers are really uh, interested about this topic. And I have talked to some farmers, and they're really interested to uh, hear about what's happening in the industry as well. So I'm going to uh, support that uh, part of the uh, research uh, in my PhD. <laughs> Wow. Okay, these were all snappy. I've they got were to snappy. Say. They were all one under one minute, and we've only got three minutes to go. So I'm going to go really quickly. I think you did a fabulous job. I'm going to give it to Laura Field just because she started with that funny, you know, light. So there you go. Loved it. Engaging opening line. You may frame that if you like. I actually have two drawings that friends have given me at home. Okay, uh, she's going to put go. it on her gallery with friends. All right, and last up, we'll just get Richard Rosley to step. Rosley to. Step Step up to the mic there. Oh, thank you. There you Thanks, go. Mike. You How are you going? Hello. Great. How are you? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. Yeah. Now, these are your your children, your scientists. <laughs> oh, children. no, not my children. I've got, I got four of my own to manage. <laughs> That's enough. But, no, they're fantastic. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's great for the industry to see the passion and the enthusiasm that science can bring. And it's a great opportunity for the young scientists to come along and tell the farmers why their research is important to them, but also to hear back from the farmers about what that means on farm and give them new ideas and new ways to go forward. And uh, the ADC is a great event to take that forward and we're very fortunate to have someone like Bo Ring Ingler home come on board each time as a sponsor for this event. So big shout out to that. And the other big shout out is Desta Price for all the work that she does behind the scenes, a day's training to hone the presentation skills and get that passion into a, a communications way that makes sense for everyone. So yeah, it's a great event. Really enjoy being a part of it. Great. So, Richard, you're, you're sort of tasked here with teaching scientists to communicate with normal people. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I have a science background myself, and, and we're at fault. Um, we go to conferences and things, and we talk to ourselves. And so more graphs, more data, more interrogation, and peer review is the science agenda, and it's a really important part of learning. But this conference gives the young scientists here an opportunity to see the other important side, which is about impact delivery, and you can only get impact if you can communicate your science. So out of the comfort zone for sure, and uh, very brave and courageous, and everyone who's participated, I think, ends up in front. Whether We do have, you know, it's a competition, you can see that here, um, but yeah, everyone gets uh, a take-home out of it because it broadens their horizon and, and they get a lot of feedback, so it's great. 
Thank you, Richard Rawnsley. And thank you to Beth, Laura and Sinica for coming on and competing for the top prize. And good luck with your presentations later on. What about, what's, what fantastic research. Some great uh, scientists obviously come, coming through the ranks here and talking at the Australian Dairy Conference. And we actually find out that one of them will become, uh, will win some award tonight. Tonight, I think. Yeah, yes. Uh, yep. Thank you. Uh, yep. So we have a, birth, a travel bursary, um, three thousand dollars. Again, big shout out to our sponsors, Boeing Ingelheim. Um, yep. And they can go to that and go and develop uh, their skills, travel around, see other people. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Meg. What thank a great you, conference. Fiona. We'll uh, see you tomorrow. See you then. <laughs>